This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Good morning, Heidi, from California. Good morning, Mom. I'm here in New York. Yeah, beautiful uh, October. The leaves are uh, still on, and uh, it's beautiful there, I'm sure. But California gets this kind of brown and curly, so that's you know kind of how it is here. And we were talking last week about um, how also it's the football season for kids, and I guess, is it soccer season? I don't know what, football season was always our season with Scott, so I don't know about other things going on in the fall, maybe soccer. But anyway, it can be a tough time. You know, some people love fall, and some people don't like the impending winter coming on. And so uh, depending on what your season is or where you are in the season of your grief, people will have different reactions. But we want you to know that we're out there to support you, right, Hyde? Yeah, and I think you're making a good point. Where people are in uh, in the seasons of their grief is really important. And also, what time of year that the people that they loved have died. Mm -hmm. You know, Scott died in April, so that's always been a little bit difficult for me, and some people, loved ones have died in, in the fall, et cetera. It's, it's really interesting start ending and starting new seasons because, you know, that's kind of an end of certain things in a beginning, and it does bring up a lot of things for us as far as not having those that we've loved in our lives. Or maybe getting that much further away from our pain and getting into a place more of hope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, and uh, anniversaries and holidays are really important. And, you know, we were talking to our guest Laurel Run before the show started, and uh, I said, has anybody, you know, got anything going on? And Laurel was saying her birthday's in two days. And wow, birthdays can be, you know, a horrendous event, or they can be a celebration event, you know, depends on where you are in your grief and loss. And and also, if it's your birthday, sometimes uh, you don't feel like you ought to be able to celebrate. Well, and when Laurel said this, and we can talk to her when we to do more when she comes on, but uh, I thought, you know, I wonder what it is like for her. I mean, this is somebody that we're going to introduce that was widowed after 42 years of marriage. Now she's coming up on her birthday, and I'm sure that her husband was a big part of celebrating her birthday, and he's no longer here. So we'll talk with her about that. Um, just to introduce Laura a little bit, she's also the author of a book called Emerging Voices, and which is something that encourages you to record your thoughts and feelings on a journal um, in the pages within. And she, I love Laurel's philosophy and belief in life because she. we will talk with her more when she comes on, but she's so much about living in the moment and trying to really embrace the present because that's really all we have. Yeah, and I told, as I said to you, Heidi, before the show, after, you know, 42 years of marriage, you know, there are a lot of people who, I've met a lot of people who've been married that long, men and women, who kind of don't move on. I mean, they just start pacing around. At least they don't get the excitement that Laurel's brought into her life and the happiness and peace. And we want to find out how she's done it. And so, Laurel, welcome to the show. Hello. It's nice to speak with both of you and the world. <laughs> it's great to have you on today. Now, tell us about your husband, about Marty. He died in 2009? Yeah, Marty died February 11, 2009, and he was a great big guy with a wonderful grin and a huge presence and a good sense of humor. We were married for 42 years, almost 42. He actually died just before our anniversary. Mm. And... um and we were together 44 years. 
and it was a lifetime. And I never thought that after that lifetime, I could actually experience another journey. And I am and have been experiencing another journey. I believe that Marty's around me and in me and in my heart, but I also know that my purpose was to go on. Mm -hmm. Wow. It has not been that long. It's only been, what, two years? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and this, and it's interesting, you were just talking about seasons of your grief. The first year is, I remember thinking every single event that occurred was a first after Marty died. It was a marker. Everything felt like a marker. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as I got close to the one year, I don't like the word anniversary. I call it a marker. Uh huh. An anniversary to me is something you celebrate. Right. And um, I remembered that, you know, I had, my grief had become quieter. And then that, at the anticipation of what was it going to feel like before that time, that month was building and building and building. And um, it was a tough month. It's filled with. You were just talking about all the different occasions. It was it was filled with the remembering of what was going on that those couple of weeks. It was filled with the day. It was filled with Valentine's Day. It was filled with the anniversary, um, and and I was glad when it was over. I was glad to have it behind me. Yeah, I I just wanted to say one thing. Sometimes the anticipation can be almost worse than the day, can it? Yes, and I also had to allow grief back in. And I actually wrote a poem, I'm not going to read it now, called uh, Grief's Cloak. And it was my way of saying, okay, you're here, you're back, and I acknowledge you. Because if I don't acknowledge you, it'll bring me It'll weigh me down. I won't be able to get back up on my feet again. So I had to acknowledge it and let it in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then... Well, how did you know that um, your purpose was to go on? I mean, was it just kind of a moment was, that you, you just... I think there's a survivor in me. That mm-hmm. is first and foremost. And Marty and I, before Marty passed away, we had one week. And he called some people and wrote some people. And we were in denial. Yeah, now what did he die of and what was the one week? He had celiac disease, which you don't usually die from. But he was a big stubborn guy and he decided after a few years of following the diet that he would, um, loved his bagels and his bread and all those things. And he decided that he wasn't going to follow the gluten-free diet. And uh, it caught up with him. His immune system shut down, and he lost a huge amount of weight, and he ultimately caused his death. And he was very, at the point of when we brought hospice in, I had been a caretaker for a year. We were in a battle of a lifetime, neither one of us thinking he was going to die, both of us thinking, yes, you know, we're going to find a way through this through each crisis, and I was alone. My kids were in New York and New Jersey, um, and it was a lonely, tough battle, and we never really talked about where where is this going, and then that final visit to the doctor's office where we decided it was time to bring hospice in. It was the time that Marty 
reached out and called his mom and his sister, and we talked to the kids. Uh, and I looked at him and I said, you know, you've said goodbye to everybody, but we haven't talked. Would you write me? I won't have your voice, but I would like to have your words. And he took the laptop, and while he was in the hospital bed, he wrote me a letter. This is an answer to your question. And he wrote many beautiful things to me. And part of that was, I want you to go on. You have a life to live. You know, I know you're going to miss me, and I know it's going to be tough, but you have to go on. And I want you to meet someone else, have be, you're vital, you're alive, bring people into your life, you know, and find a relationship and and don't roll up into a ball and go into a corner. Be alive. Um, and he knew me. He knew that I'm a survivor and a fighter, and I think he was also giving me permission. Even though I didn't need mm-hmm. it, it was a wonderful thing to have. Wow, that's amazing. I was thinking the same thing. What a great gift to say, look, go on. It doesn't mean you didn't love me and you don't love me. I, I love that he, that he did that with, for you. Yeah, it's wonderful. And then he, he died. And um, I wanted to know, have you always done poetry? And you wrote The Storm just a month after you died, right? Right. My mother had died when I was a year old. And mm. I had nothing of hers. And I had I, w- I had a busy career. I lived in New York. I worked 14-hour days. I lived actually in New Jersey and commuted to New York. And um, what did you do, just for curiosity, for the audience? I, I worked in the investment banking and legal world as an administrative director. So okay. all my creativity was, and I was a woman from the women's movement. You know, superwoman. I can do it all. Ha ha. <laughs> And I, I was commuting into the city and raising kids and um, and working long, hard hours. So my creativity went into, I I know it went into the job. But every once in a while, I'd write a snippet. I'd write a poem. And I started to keep a little journal, small journal, um, because I felt like I have to leave something of myself. I had nothing from my mother. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, well, Laurel, you've left your sons, they're part of you and Marty, you know, but there was a sense that I had to leave something which gave the gift of, of knowing who I am to my kids and my grandkids. Um, and so there was this journal that I would put my poetry in and little pictures and um, I, for instance, the storm isn't part of my book, but it's in that journal. And it it's just a little treasure box of mine that held my words and my feelings. Would you read it to us? Yes, I'd love to. The storm. As the thunder rolled and signaled danger, we kept fighting our way through the confusing maze of gathered facts, disappointments, setbacks, and fear. As you disappeared, inch by inch, pound by pound, I averted my eyes to avoid what I was seeing and closed my ears to what I was hearing. Your lovely smile was fading. Your lovely presence was diminishing. Then lightning struck. It was sharp and jagged. It crackled and teased. We ran for cover, seeking protection from the onslaught to come, with nowhere left to hide. 
The zigzag of harsh light made us open our eyes, our souls, to understand that we had finally run out of time. Frightened, yet quietly relieved, we surrendered to the inevitable. After the storm, you were gently released, and for you, my darling, the rainbow beckoned and a new passage began. Our journey together came to its end. As we cease to be an us, I am left waiting for the clouds to retreat and for a sliver of hope to emerge. For now, there is a deafening silence. Mm. Wow, that really says it all. And then, and, yeah, and then when did you find that sliver of hope? It started, I went to the hospice bereavement group. I came home after Marty's celebration of life in New York, and it was an empty house. I had my cats, and, um, you know, I had some friends, but I was alone. And I knew that hospice had a bereavement group and felt, I have to do something. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what I'm facing. I don't know what this feels like. I was numb, but I knew that I had to find a way to learn about grief and express my grief. And um, so I called hospice, and and I went to a grief counselor there named Jane Ogden, who was wonderful. This was Tidewell. And she and I met several times. I went through about two boxes of tissues. And um, I also went to the bereavement group. And two things happened. She sensed from me that there was this creative side. And she sent me off to a place called Expressive Arts where I started to do something called touch painting, touch drawing. And the other thing is I joined the group. And the wonderful thing about the group was that you didn't have to hide what you were feeling. When you've had a loss, people want you to get better. They, they, it's like, how are you? Oh, good, that's fine. You know, they, they, I think they think there's a time clock around how long you should grieve. And so you tend to just pull in and not share what you're really feeling. And the amazing thing about the group was that I learned there is no roadmap for grief. It just is. And I learned that other people had similar feelings. I think one of the most poignant things that happened in that group was there was a woman talking who's a friend of mine. I've made friends from that group. We call ourselves the Wicked Widows Club. Um, <laughs> like and, yeah. And um, she was talking about how she was getting dressed one day and she thought, well, my husband's not here to say how beautiful I look and how he likes my outfit and give me that certain look with the love that's in his eyes. And I just sat in my chair with my mouth open looking at her and thinking, oh, my God, that is exactly what I have felt like. Marty would look at me. My hair could be standing on end. It didn't matter. He looked at me with the eyes of love. And that was gone. And I felt almost invisible that I will never have that again. By the way, that's not true that I will never have that again. But it felt that way. And for her to say that in that group made me understand that that this is a shared experience. So it was a wonderful place for me to be for a period of time. 
So your book is called... And I also yeah. wrote to Marty every single day. Ah, and you have, some space, you have some places in your book, Emerging Voices, for people to journal and to write. Right. Now, you called the book Emerging Voices. That was when you started emerging? Yes. I actually have a piece that talks about that. Would you like me to read it? Sure. Emerging Voices. There were so many voices in her head since his death and they meshed into an angry crowd within her. These discordant sounds pulled her into an abyss called grief. As the voices blended together, she could not hear them clearly, drown them out, or turn them off. It was a time of profound sadness, and she was uneasy, off balance, in a dark place that didn't seem to have an exit sign within sight. At other times, the voice of grief came in at a different frequency, like a low, annoying, and distracting hum, with no shut-off valve to be found. It left her feeling agitated, disoriented, and unsure as how to move forward, how to put one foot in front of another. It seemed as if daylight had arrived and was out of reach, too far in the distance for her to see. Then, with the passing of time, a soft voice began to emerge from within. Eerily quiet and without static, it was gentle, compassionate, and encouraging. Perhaps it was guided by powers beyond her understanding or her grasp, but it didn't really matter because she knew instinctively that she was hearing her own voice, her own spirit. So she turned inward and listened. To her surprise, as the fog of sorrow lifted, she experienced visions of clarity, glimmers of hope, and tiny moments of happiness. It was then that she understood the voice of grief had been comforted, not put away, but eased. She had finally found the entrance sign to her new life and intuitively knew that she was emerging. I love that emerging voice. Isn't that great, Heidi? Fabulous. Now tell it's, I, and it just kind of speaks to the fact that after loss we are we are constantly evolving and changing, and we are not stagnant. You know, we could do a whole whole show on just this experience that you've had. But fast forward to the fact you published this fabulous book. This is your artwork in it, right? Yes, it is absolutely beautiful. They can go to your site. Tell us what your site is: www.essenceoflaurel.com. And you can go and look at this wonderful. Uh, pictures and the, and read about the emerging voices and uh, to fast forward you've remarried no I haven't remarried oh, you just re- <laughs> reconnected I am in a relationship which is an amazing thing and um, my last piece I, I called infinite possibilities and I I never expected to have feelings at this age, I'm 65, that are almost kind of like being 19 again. Um, and part of it is because I had to first go into my own heart and, and find it and heal it and know that death is a teacher. And I knew that I wasn't finished with my journey and that I learned about being in the present moment and just living and experiencing what was in front of me. Marty's last breath taught me so much because yesterday is done with. You don't know what tomorrow is, but you have today. And that philosophy was new for me. 
and it it is my guide. I'm not always in the present moment. I pull myself back when I find myself going too far out because when you go out into the future, very often fear comes in or That's worry. And, and why go there? Why waste mm-hmm. the moments that you're in? Well, there's a few things on your, on your site that I love that you say, and they're just brief. But one of them is there's so many great things that you say about living in the present. Look for the strength of who you are and your spirit will emerge. The title that best describes me today is I am, I am vital, I am alive, I am love, and I am open to life's possibilities. I love that. Absolutely. Well, go to theessenceoflaurel.com. You can find this Emerging Voices book. Is it on Amazon too, Laurel? It's on Amazon and it's on Barnes & Noble. And I'd like to say one other quote because this Mm -hmm. really, for me, I think not only describes me, but whenever I autograph my book, I write this in it. And it's a bird, it's a Chinese proverb. A bird does not sing because it has an answer. It sings because it has a song. Well, now we're going to go out with one of your poems set to music, I Blink My Eyes. And can you tell us who uh, has done that piece? Yes, he's my partner. And um, his name is Philip W. Lieber. And he has taken six of my poems and put them to music. And we are collaborating together uh, in life. And it is the most amazing feeling to have my words become music. And I blinked my eyes was the most important poem for me because it talked about not being in the present moment. It talked about wishing life away. And I realized after Marty passed away that I I need to keep my eyes open and focused on the present moment because otherwise it disappears. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Laurel. And uh, we're looking forward to listening to that piece of music, I Blink My Eyes. Well, Heidi, it's... Yeah, it's been great having Laurel on the show. Thank you. Laurel brings so much uh, positive energy, doesn't she, Heidi? She, she absolutely does. And I, I, like I said, I love her philosophy about just that all we have is the present moment. Right. And I love the fact that she and her partner collaborated on I Blink My Eyes Together, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful piece. And I've got to say, our, we have big hearts. We can love many people. And she's an example of that. Absolutely. Well, we hope you'll visit us on iTunes. And remember that you can also put things on Open to Hope Facebook page. And please stay tuned again next week. I blinked my eyes. I blinked my eyes. And my life happened. Wise ones told me not to do it, but I was young and foolish. Challenges surrounded me. I wished them away, wished them away. Thinking things would be much better down the road. Suddenly it happened Time melted away I blinked my eyes Time melted away 
Gently but so swiftly life unrolled itself Time was flying Slipping away Slipping away Now I miss those moments that are lost forever Because I know I wished them away, wished them away. I blinked my eyes, I blinked my eyes, and my life happened. I blinked my eyes, and as foretold, My life happened